There are several relationships pictured in Scripture showing our Lord's relationship with his people. One of those is, I think, in a way the most picturesque, that being a shepherd with his sheep. And that is something we want to continue to look at tonight as we find ourselves in John chapter 10, the Gospel of John chapter 10. It's, it's a message our Lord gives, helping us to see his relationship with his people, or if you will, he uses a picture of shepherd and sheep brought together that we might see more of the relationship that he has even for his own. Before we continue through John chapter 10, I want to remind you of the audience that is before him as he is preaching this message. We don't know the number, but we do know the type of people that are there. Would you follow in chapter 9 as I begin reading at verse 39? This is right after a blind man has been healed and there's some arguing about who did it and well, he did it on the Sabbath, so you know who's going to be there. But verse 39 says, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not see and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. And so we are pointedly told that uh, there are some unbelieving Pharisees and others there. Keep in mind, in a crowd that size, there are the regular uh, rebellious Jews as well. And likely the man who's born blind, maybe his family. And Well, who knows? Um, Jesus will speak. He'll um, share some things that we all need. And one thing we see here in this passage is there are a lot of figures of speech. And we'll see that even as we continue on tonight. But after speaking in chapter 10, the first six verses, and we'll kind of review that in a little bit later as far as reading it. But what's interesting, in verse 6, at the end of it, it says, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Frankly, the crowd just didn't understand. They didn't know what he was talking about. So that kind of lays the groundwork for what is going to come for those people as well as his sheep. Now, as we think about that, in verse 5, it tells us that his sheep will by no means follow a stranger. In fact, they'll flee from that stranger because they don't know the voice of that one who's acting like their shepherd. And so there's uh, people there, the Pharisees, who they're going to run from. And, and that is all laid down before them, and they say they don't understand. Now, with that in mind, we pick up in verse 6, and I'd ask you to follow as I read through verse 11. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, I most, assur most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, as we look at this, we need to remember a few things. I want to remind you of the nature of the sheepfold. If you remember, it is a pen that might be out in the wilderness where the sheep would graze, but at night they'd be brought into the pen, and they can only get in one way, and that is through the door. If you will, Christ being the door. There are those who are false sheep or professors, or, or I mean shepherds, and we are told that they're, they're bad guys. We'll see that in a moment. But those who try to come in another way are thieves and robbers, as verse 1 describes it. And so with that, I want to consider the nature of the shepherd. I want to zero in how we see Jesus even in this passage tonight. Now, as we think about that, in verses 1 through 3, Jesus is introduced as the good shepherd. And we learn who he is. In verse 3, we're told that he calls his own sheep by name. You know, calling people by their name shows a relationship. Um, and that's what we have here, showing Jesus in a relationship to those called his sheep. And as we think about that, as he knows us, he knows our names, there's that closeness, it shows even in the basis, of, in the center of trials, he is there. He cares for us. There's hope. He knows me. He can talk to me by my name. And that's a picture that is being given here to show that he is the good shepherd. But then we read in verse 7. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He points out, I'm the door. Now, a door has a purpose, several purposes. One, to keep things out, but also to let people in. In this case, the sheep. How do you get into my, my fold? Through the door. And he is the door. These figures of speech begin to come out at us. Two things happen when you go through the door when we think about Jesus being the door. One is the person is saved. When you come through the door, you're coming through Christ, you're entering his fold, and you find out you're saved. You know the shepherd, and you've come in his way. I am the door, and you come in through me. But there's something else we see in verse 9. I am the door. He says, if anyone enters by me, number one, he will be saved. And two, he will go in and out and find pasture or provisions or, if you will, his needs being met. Whatever those needs are as determined by the shepherd. Now, this is how he leads them. We know, uh, he knows what we need, and so it says, he brings out his own sheep. He brings them out. 
he brings them out. But why? Well, they're in that sheepfold. A bunch of sheep, maybe from other shepherds, are inside that sheepfold. One thing is missing in that fold, and that is grazing land, a place to eat. So they have to go in and out to begin to eat and enjoy the Lord's provision, the nourishment that he, as our shepherd, sees we need. We go under his leadership. He knows what his sheep need. And because of their relationship, when he says, come on, sheep, he knows their voice. They know his voice. And they go out. I want to share a picture that is given to us in the scripture. Would you turn to Psalm 23, please? Psalm 23. This psalm is used in various ways. Um, we often think of it as a funeral psalm. But I want you to notice as we read Psalm 23 that we are also going to see here that it deals with the shepherd providing for his sheep. I'm going to read it and make some comments as we go along. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. My needs will be met. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. One thing that is interesting about sheep is they don't like to go in rushing water. They like the still stuff. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. My shepherd brings comfort, if you will. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then he says in verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, in this picture, there's a picture here given to us in verse 4, and it's called the valley of the shadow of death. But what is this? Well, first of all, I want to say this. It's not referring to death itself or dying. But what he's saying is this. In the context, he's leading them to pastures to be restored, to have their needs met. Now, one place that he leads them through to, to is a meadow that's over there. But to get to that meadow, you have to walk through a valley. And, and sheep can spook easy. They get scared. And so he leads them through this valley. And it, it pictures a fear for the sheep. Um, he, but the shepherd has a rod and a staff. The staff to lead, the rod to beat away danger. And they're going through that valley. Why? To get to the other side. That's where the food is. Okay? So he's providing for his sheep. And to do so, they go through what seems to be a dangerous place. But he's with them. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. I get the blessings that you have for me. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because the shepherd is caring for me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, that's the hope we have as sheep. There is a description 
of how a shepherd might lead his sheep. Now with that, go back to chapter 10 of John. And as a shepherd, Jesus focuses on his sheep and is doing certain things for them. And one thing is he's providing their needs. And I want to look at four of them in the passage that follows. And the first one is this. He gives his life for the sheep. Look at John 10, verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The basis of what he's doing is for the sheep. Now, in the context, he's the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. He gives his life for the sheep. What does this mean? It means that he has a purpose in his death. He's going to give his life a direct purpose for the sheep. He's very specific here as he talks about his love, his care for his sheep. He has a particular people in mind. And who are they called? The sheep. And that's what he gives his life for. And whatever one may say, he has that purpose in mind, giving his life for the sheep. Look at verse 15. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. A purpose once again. He cares for the sheep. Now, we're going to come back to this in a little bit, but I want to ask this question. Who are the sheep? Well, one thing I can tell you reading that passage, I'm one of them. And I rejoice in his love and his care for us and for me. Later on, Paul is going to write about the purpose of Christ's death. He's going to give us another picture of the goal, and that is found in Ephesians 5, where it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word. And again, there's that loving goal in mind because of his care for his sheep. And as we think about this, notice in John 10 again, in the text here, look at verse 12 as we reflect upon his love for his sheep. He says this, but, but a hireling, that is a guy who you might hire who doesn't care he only wants to make a buck, okay? But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. Now, I've never been confronted by a wolf, but I've seen them on TV. And when you see them on TV, they always snarl. And they got teeth that are about two and a half feet long, and they're scary, okay? And I'm not looking, I wouldn't look forward to meeting a, sh a wolf. Well, the hireling who doesn't care about the sheep, when he sees the wolf coming, he flees. And the wolf then catches the sheep and scatters them. Why? What's the emphasis? The hireling doesn't care. Verse, the next verse he says, the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about 
the sheep. Now, could you imagine being in that crowd, listening to that message, and you're a Pharisee, and you know who he's talking about. They do. That'll come out later. And so Jesus is showing there are people who seem to be on the surface shepherds, but they don't care. The shepherd is there, though. We're told in the text. He's there to protect his sheep. Everything he's doing is, is for the benefit of the sheep, impending danger. But more than the jaws of a wolf. When we get down to the actual application here, we're dealing with eternity in the picture. And who wants to destroy the sheep? Satan. Even though you and I who are saved, who are called sheep, and we're secure, we'll see that later in the chapter, we are secure in Christ, but Satan would still love to grab us if he could and throw us into hell anyway. He will do what he can to ruin our testimony, to destroy our eternal goal, if you will. And so we see here that Christ is the good shepherd and he is going to take care of his sheep. Yea, from Satan himself. It reminds me of another verse um, in Galatians chapter 2 where it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I'm trusting him who loved me. He gave himself for me. And frankly, those are exciting words. He did it with me in mind. But as we move along here in John 10, I want you to notice verse 16 as well. It says, other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will bear, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. But who are these other sheep? Well, they're Gentiles. They're not of the fold of Israel. They're other sheep, which aren't of this fold. They're those kind of people. Those kind I must also bring in that there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. And I want you to notice these words. He's talking right now about the future, but he says in verse 16, other sheep I have. They're my possession, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. They aren't here yet, but I have them, but they aren't here. But he's telling us how his work is going to take place. And yet, they're not in the fold, but will be. And we see how God's sovereign program unfolds. And yes, not only does he bring in the Jewish sheep, but Gentile sheep as well. That's why you and I are saved. Because of what he's done for the other sheep. But let's move on. I want you to see how 
Christ the shepherd provides for his sheep. Go back to chapter or verse 10 and look at the first part. He says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And again, he's referring to those false shepherds that just could bring death. And of course, he's referring again to those Pharisees, the false shepherd. He's only interested in himself. We already have seen that. But I want to share something with you about some false shepherds. They are out there. One of them, and I'm going to give you some names. One of them was a guy by the name of Joseph Smith. Um, he's a guy who started Mormonism. It pretty much is attributed to him. False shepherd. Or a guy like Joel Olstein, who doesn't know anything about the scriptures. Or Benny Hinn, or Creef, I think it's pronounced Creeflo Dollar. And there's other guys, you know who they are. But there's false shepherds out there who claim to care, and all they care about is their pocketbook. But the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He cares about them. But not only that, look at what he gives him in verse 10. The thief does not come to, uh, except to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I have come that they, the sheep, may have life. And that they may have it more abundantly. Not just life, but abundant life. Oh, it means a whole bunch, whatever it is. It is the idea of a surplus. They're going to have quite a deal. Now, what does this include? Well, I'll share some things. You can think of others, but it is not in the materialistic realm. No, no. But let me share some thoughts here with you. I wrote down, and like I said, you may think of others, but I wrote down, it's the abundance of grace, peace, love, Life, and yes, all that's involved with salvation, forgiveness, direction in my life, hope, accessibility to the shepherd himself as the good shepherd. He's given me all kinds of things that give me abundant life. Why? He cares for me. I'm a sheep. And I mean, I'm in that fold, and he cares. And so I've come that they, my sheep, will have abundant life. And by the way, it includes verse 11, as he would give his life for them. But let's move on and see a third area um, that he focuses on, and that is he has a caring, protective relationship with his sheep. Verse 13 says, again, the hireling flees because his hireling doesn't care about the sheep. And then he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. Now, what's he talking about here in verses 13 and 14? He cares, and he shows it as a two-way 
relationship here. He talks to us through his word. We talk to him through prayer. Again, he cares. So we have this relationship. I know my sheep am known of my own. And they have a relationship. I want you to picture going to the White House and saying you want to talk to the president. And they would ask something like this, who are you? And of course, you would give them who you are and don't you know? And they'd laugh and send you away, okay? But suppose, just suppose, you're a friend of the president's son. You know Baron. You're a good friend of Baron. And you come walking up to the gate with Baron. And he says, hi, guys. I don't know what they say to Secret Service. But he comes in and says, hi, guys. Can you imagine him walking around Washington? Anyway, he brings me and some of the rest of us and says, we're going to go ahead and talk to my dad. Okay, go ahead. Why? Because we're going with his son. Well, that's what we have here. Because of our relationship with Christ, we can talk to God. He talks to me. His word is there, and we have quite a relationship. Jesus cares about his sheep. And keep in mind, as we have seen, he gives us life. He provides abundantly for us. He protects us. We've got quite a relationship. We can talk to our shepherd. He talks to us through his word. But there's one other thing I want you to notice, and that is he keeps track of all of his sheep. Now, earlier, we saw that he gave his life for his sheep and also that he cares for his sheep, providing for them abundantly. But with that, keep something in mind. I want you to think about his total flock. We've touched on it, but again, verse 15. As the Father knows me, Jesus, even so I know the Father. Our relationship is tight. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have that are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And by the way, in chapter 6 it says, and those that come he will not cast out. But again, look at this. He cares for his sheep. He provides for them. And it includes somebody important, as far as I'm concerned, and that is other sheep. The Gentiles, again, verse 16. Not of this fold. I mean, that's why I'm saved. And as I look out among us, I don't know of any who have Jewish blood in them. And if that's the case, if it wasn't for these other sheep, there'd be no hope. But because he gave his life for the Gentiles as well, that includes me. And that makes salvation so exciting. 
He cared about me. And it says he must bring them. And how will they come? He'll hear their voice. He'll hear it. We will hear his voice. And everything that he has talked about the sheep in previous verses applies to those other sheep. And as we look at it, we will also see that there's but one shepherd. And he cares about me. It's fun to be loved. It's a joy to be loved. But think of who's doing the care here. It's the good shepherd. Now, later on, we're going to see that he talks about the church. I want you to notice as we think about who these others are. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, please. Ephesians chapter 2. And he gives us a description of the relationship of, again, those who are his. And I'd ask you to follow as I begin at verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Who are the both? Jews and Gentiles. Having, verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God, Gentiles, Jews, reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. You see how it parallels the sheep and the, the two folds? Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Those people he's preaching to are in Ephesus. Those who are far off are the Gentiles. Those who are near would be the Jews. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you, you Ephesians, are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fit together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Do you see what he's telling us? Two peoples, Jews, Gentiles, brought together as one, and we enjoy that, we rejoice in it. And how did he do that? Through the cross. Later on, Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says this, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Why? Because God from the beginning chose you, you Gentile you, you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 
And so I'm obligated. I rejoice that I can thank God for working in your life. The Gentiles, the Jews. And I think the whole application is me. You and I can look at this portion and realize he had the likes of me in mind. I would say you. But somewhere along the line, the me is more exciting, isn't it? Do you, do you see that? He gave his life for me. That's what we get excited about. And you know what? We're part of that household, and we're in it together. And that's what makes it exciting. We're the family. And we get to enjoy going in and out, into pasture, following our Lord together. Let's be thankful to God that he included Gentiles, the likes of you and me. And you can rejoice if you know him as your Lord and Savior. But if you don't know him, I encourage you to call on him tonight. And then you too can rejoice. He had me in mind. And it's exciting to know and he that comes, I will in no wise cast out, he says. That's exciting. That's the shepherd. Are you a sheep tonight? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we could open your word. Thank you for the way that you do work in our lives. Thank you for helping us to see the shepherd, even as he cared about us. And Lord, as we dismiss tonight, as we fellowship together, might you be glorified in all we say and do. Thank you for this time, and might we honor you through this week. In Jesus' name.